0: Welcome to the LSQ Podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and our vision is to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from Sunday worship and the occasional bonus content. We hope you'll subscribe.
1: Today's scripture reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6-11. through Remember this. they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest for your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Good morning, and welcome again to our worship service. We're really glad that you're here, every single one of you. Um, a few weeks ago, I was uh, pretty tired. I, I came home after a long day of work, and you know what you do? Sometimes you, just, you, you click on Netflix, and you just try to find something to watch. And uh, I think it was the, it was on Netflix. It, there was the 80s cult classic Labyrinth that was just right there. And so I clicked enter and, and watched it with, you know, the antagonist is David Bowie, and, and the protagonist was like a young Jennifer Connelly. She plays this teenager who gets taken away to this far away weird land, lots of these creatures, and it's a very scary place. And there's a scene in it where she, somewhere in the middle of, of the, her whole ordeal, and she falls into this space, looks very similar to her home. And because of the scariness of life, she goes and finds the possessions and things that make her feel comfortable. She finds her dolls, she finds her, her diary, she, she, she finds these things and she holds on to them. And as, as she sees more and more things that give her comfort, she kind of holds on to more of them. And eventually, she, she, her arms get full, so she starts putting them on her back. And over time, she just starts carrying around this giant, uh, basically, it looks like not even a backpack, just, just it's all this stuff of her that she doesn't want to let go of because she's worried that uh, she'll lose it again. And so she doesn't understand how awkward it is to walk around with all this stuff on her. That is a metaphor for our modern condition where we today are told that we will be most happy with the more stuff that we can acquire. And I think what I'd like for us to ask today, I think it's fair for us to ask this question, which is, is that true? Yes, the modern world tells you that you will be most happy if you can consume and acquire and get. But whether you're a Christian here today, or maybe you're not a Christian, maybe you're somewhere in between, I think it's fair for us to—we owe it to ourselves to ask, is that really true? Does that actually bring about more happiness? We live in the wealthiest country in all of human existence. We live in—there are more material possessions that we have— than any other civilization. And yet, our statistically, our happiness is going down, our sense of peace and tranquility is going down. Our, our sense of, of purpose and meaning is going down. Our mental health is going down. So I think it's fair for us to ask ourselves: do we have an unhealthy relationship to our stuff? And I believe this passage helps us. This is where Paul talks about our possessions our money, our goods, our, our material things. And he says, there actually is a way for you to interact with your stuff that would, would bring about so much wonder and beauty and love and change by, by changing how you, ver- you even view reality. He says, that's actually possible. Uh, and I, and I, therefore, I would like to look at this. Now, of course, um, what is it? The uh, pop star Madonna... You know, she, she says it better than anybody else. She says, listen, I, you know, I'm a material girl and we live in a material world, right? All of us, all of boys and girls. And I think she, what she gets at is that whenever we, somebody talks about possessions and stuff, we get kind of stiff. We get a little cynical. We get a little rigid. And the reason why is when you challenge this cultural assumption that you are what you have... People are like, so what are you going to say? It's, it's, it's not easy. And so I want us, before we start, I want us to take a deep breath and say, let's be brave. Let's actually work through this together. So three things. Let's look at how to relate to our possessions. Let's look at how it should feel. And then lastly, what it would it look like? So how should we relate to, our, relate to our possessions? How should it feel? And then what would it look like? So first, how to relate. This is, this is the second Corinthians. This is the second letter Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. And what he's trying to do here is he's talking to a a people in southern Greece. This is a port city, very affluent, very wealthy. If you want a a similarity, New York is also an affluent, wealthy port city. And so these are people with means, and he's trying to talk to them about why they should support and give their possessions for poor Christians back in Jerusalem. I think it's important, and we said this last week, to, to point out what he doesn't do. He doesn't tell a stop, sob story. He doesn't try to guilt them. He doesn't give them a command. Even la- last week, ch- chapter 8, the ch- chapter before this, he, says, he goes out of his way and says, I do not command you. And this is also fa- uh, uh, Paul. Paul grew up a Pharisee. Pharisees loved rules. They loved commands. He knew the Old Testament command to give 10% of all that you have. And he doesn't even make a whiff of a notion in that direction. I think the answer is he's not just trying to raise funds. He's trying to give them and give us a completely different way to relate to our possessions. Look at verse 6. He says this. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Skip down to verse 9. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts. And this word scattered is is an, an agrarian term like seed, like a farmer's scattered seed. Look at verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and increase your store. Now stop here for a second. I just rattled off a bunch of agrarian terms. And now I grew up in this town. I don't resonate with farming uh, illusions. It's not natural to me. So I went out and I read a bunch of commentaries to say, okay, what, what is he trying to get at? And the best answer I can give you is... As a farmer plants seed in the ground in the hopes that it will produce more seed, more food, so is it like when we invest, right? New Yorkers, we, uh, we, can, we connect with investments. We understand financial terms. When we invest, we are placing funds into a space where we're not sure necessarily it's going to work out, but we put it in there in the hopes for uh, more. And I think that's what, what Paul's trying to get at. He's trying to say, if you sow little, if you invest little, you're going you're gonna to reap little. But if you sow more, you can reap more. And if you're like me, as soon as I made that analogy, I realized, okay, that's what he's saying. I, again, because I, I think it's just who we are as New Yorkers, I got cynical. Because I started, started seeing Paul as like a traveling salesman, like, you know— you too if you invest in my product you will get not just one watch you can have two rare beautiful watches or something like that I, I, that's how i first started reading him but is that what he's saying is that what he's trying to get at And i think the, the answer is no what what's what is he trying to get at at the very least it's this there's a lot of unknowns when you hold your possessions this way when you invest like this what, what do i mean Pre-scientific people were not—they did not know all the biology of how, you know, seeds and, and um, planting worked. A lot of times they would plant and nothing would come up. A lot of times they would not plant and because of the way seeds work and they fly. I mean, all of a sudden there's a, there's, a, there's a huge harvest and they didn't know where it came from. And so what Paul's trying to get at, if you take a step back, go back to the text, he's trying to give these people a vision for their possessions— To people in Jerusalem, Corinth—I went to Google Maps— Corinth is about 815 miles, as the crow flies, from Jerusalem, which in ancient times might as well have been on the other side of the world. These are people far away from their imagination. And so try to get into into Paul's head. He's saying to them, people from northern Greece, the Macedonians, people you don't know, they're going to come and they're going to take your gift. And they're going to go to Jerusalem and give it to people who you don't know— And they're going to use your gift. And they're going to use it in ways you don't know. But there's a lot of unknowns. But I I think this is the point for us. It's no different for us. There's a lot of unknowns in what it might look like if we wield our possessions in this way. Let me give you an example. Think about that person in your life who uh, is unhappy and doesn't have a lot of friends, but they've asked you to kind of spend time with them or they're awkward, or you didn't really want to, but they want you to pour into their life. And so you have to make a decision. Do you invest your time in them? And there's a big and real and probable chance that if you, whatever you put into those, that person, you're not going to see a return. It'd be great, wouldn't it? It'd be great if like years later, uh, people, that, that person comes back and says, you know, remember that time when you really put a lot of time into me? And I, I was even mad that you didn't give it the way I wanted it to be, but actually you changed my life. That always always feels good when you hear things like that. Like, oh, thank you so much. I did, okay, it did work. It, It turned out. That's rare. More likely is you'll never hear, you'll never know how you affected, how you spent your time, how you invested it, and what would come back to it. But that's what Paul's getting at. Paul's trying to say, it doesn't matter. Put more, think of your stuff in this way, invest it, because the more you invest, the more that it will come out. And so before we move on, this is what I want to ask you. Do you see your possessions like this? Because I think the average person thinks of possessions to consume for myself. I need to get new stuff. I need to get more stuff. But Paul's saying, no, it's not about just holding on to your time, talents, and treasures for yourself to possess. He's saying it's something to invest. He's saying it's something not to, you know, the world says grab and take, because then if you have enough, then you'll feel better about yourself. No, he's saying put these back into the world plant them invest them spend them and i think this is how we're supposed to do it with with purpose and intentionality and and let me me try to make this point clear you don't have infinite time there's 24 hours in a day you can only invest a certain amount in a certain space you only have so much stuff you only have so much talent and so you have to ask yourself where am i going to spend that who are the people i'm going to pour into who are the people I'm going to bless? I might never see that blessing. Right? That, that the same thing happens not only with your time, but it's also with your talent and your treasures. Um, and let me tell you why you should do that. You should do that because have you ever seen what happens if you hold on to seed for too long? I, I it, when I grew up in in New York um, in the 80s and 90s, everybody always pops sunflower seeds like 50 cents. You go to the corner of bodega, and I got some one time, and I they're really salty with the one the sunflower seeds in, in the that you can buy and so I one time uh, didn't, couldn't eat them all so I put them in my desk and years later I found them again and being a kid I, I was like hey I got found sunflower seeds so I started popping in my mouth mildew rotten it was gross because that's what ha- seeds rot if you don't use them same thing with our investments if you can't take them with you they go away eventually you can't hold on to them what are we doing with them? what does it look like? And Paul is saying, don't waste your investments. Where are you planting them? Where are you putting them? And he's inviting us to see, therefore, whatever it is that we have as part of a larger vision beyond ourselves. Number one. All right, fine.
0: At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response or Q&R after worship on Sundays. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastoral team and other members of our church community. If you have a question, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us at Q&R on a Sunday morning. And now, back to this week's sermon.
2: Number two, your need for stuff the way we normally think about it doesn't just lessen on its own. The idea of of investing more and and giving more, that doesn't just happen. So number two, what's the experience and feeling that we need to have behind this? Go to to the next verse, verse 7, when he says, each of you should give, right? And and look at his qualifying terms, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but cheerfully. See, Paul Paul is, uh, he's trying to say that the way you know this is working out, the feeling that should be attached to it is not reluctance, not compulsion, but cheerfulness and joy. Now again, the cynical Michael reads this and goes, okay, now he's just telling me I need to give and I'm supposed to like giving. Give, but like it. But if he stopped at seven, that's what would happen. But look at the next verse, verse eight. And why can you do this cheerfully? Why can you do this joyfully? Verse eight, you can give because God has blessed you. God is able to bless you abundantly. And then he goes on. How? So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound. That's abundance again. In all, every good work. I I had to look this up in the Greek, but not once, not twice. The word all here shows up four times, but in Greek, it shows up five times. It's almost like Paul's trying to like blare the sirens at us. He's trying to tell us something. What he's trying to say is, guys, if all things at all times has been given to you already, now what? Now how, do you, can you, how can you relate to your stuff? It means that you can have the presence of abundance. You can have the presence of God's grace in your life if he's given you all things, and you can turn out and then give. And so Paul is saying then very simply— To the degree that you have abundance and you feel that abundance, to that degree will you be able to give because you have Jesus. And I I started going to this myself. I go, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. I I have this. Yes, Lord, I have it. So then you're supposed to reverse it. Well, if you have everything you really need in Jesus, that means everything else that you have you don't actually really need. And do you think that way? And then I got convicted. Do I believe that I don't need a claim because I have Jesus? I don't need looks because I have Jesus. I don't need that job. I don't need that—the that, the amount of money that I think I need. The honor, love, and respect that I think I need. Do I really need that? No, because I have all things in him. Uh, years ago, there's there a Cohen Brothers movie uh, from 2003 called Intolerable Cruelty. Um, uh, the Cohen Brothers have more famous movies, O oh Brother, Where Art Thou, and all these other ones. This one, nobody really—it didn't get a lot of acclaim, but— I remember watching this movie. It's with uh, George Clooney, who plays this sort of sleazy uh, marriage lawyer who comes up with this prenuptial agreement. And then Catherine Zeta-Jones, who uh, perceives that she has all this money and kind of gets George Clooney to fall in love with her. And what ends up happening through the the story is, you know, he knows that prenuptial agreements are the way to hold on to your possessions so that people can't take them. But as they fall in love, they're realizing, unless they share their possessions, they're not really sharing all who they are because your possessions are part of who you are. And so there's this whole thing, if you rip up the prenuptial agreement, then you're exposed and oh my gosh, what are we gonna do? But that's the nature of love. You can't, you can't be really in love unless you're willing to share it all and have it all because love at the end of the day is all that I am to all that you are and all that you are to all that I am. And I, we, my wife and I, we went and saw this 19 years ago in a movie theater in Lincoln Square. We were giggling the whole time because it was a satire on the nature of how we do things. Even funnier, nobody else was laughing. <laughs> nobody else was laughing. That was, I we was like, it was, it was because it was an indictment on how we see and realize and wield our stuff. But if love is saying, here's all that I am to all that you are, Paul's saying the same thing here. He's saying all that you need has been given. It's already been given to you. Now, therefore, you can give. All, when you, and I think this is the secret. You know this. When, when you feel the most love, that's when you feel the most generous. Sarah and I are celebrating our 20th anniversary this week. And so we've been... Uh, no, 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 I wasn't... Thank you. That it always feels like you're a success. No, uh, I mean, it's the way it's supposed to be. So 20 years in, we've been doing um, just kind of assessments of like, you know, what's it been like and taking inventory. And it was interesting as we've been thinking about it, we've been going, huh, isn't it interesting that the moments when the other person feels like they're in deficit, when, when one of us is able to, to give and show love and, and um, be that generous spirit for the, that person, it always engenders love back. It always reciprocates. It always comes back in different ways. Because that's the secret to giving. That when you feel abundance... You feel that love and acceptance, it just spills back out of you. Do that in reverse. I feel most wounded when I feel like I'm not getting what I deserve. And you do too. I bet you everybody in this room right now can talk about ways that people have harmed you and not given you what, what you do. Everybody in this room. And I bet you you could probably make a credible argument and I bet you it's valid. But even if you're right, if. You live in that world. There is no way for you to be able to be generous because you're so focused on what you need to get instead of what you can give. Paul is trying to turn it around and he's trying to say it's only when you start with what you've been given, all that's been done for you, then live in a life of thanksgiving and wonder and abundance turns out. That's when the joy comes out. True story, I was talking to um, a campus minister uh, in, our, in our presbytery, our group that, that ministers to, to um, students here in the city. And I was just asking him, I said, hey, how's the semester going? And he's like, listen, the strangest thing happened. Uh, a student came up to me, and she sits down in front of me and says, hey, um, I want to get coffee with you, but I want you to know something. I'm not a Christian, I'm not a believer, and um, I'm only here because recently my parents have become Christians. And I, 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 I just don't understand because they've almost immediately become more giving, kinder. And and I just, I I, I don't understand what's going on here. I I feel like I have to look into this. And a couple weeks later, she sits down again and goes, hey, I'm a Christian now. And he's like, I did nothing. I said nothing. I didn't have to argue. I didn't have to kind of make some sort of pitch. She, on her own accord, came because she saw the change in her own parents about how they wielded abundance because of feeling the love of Jesus, feeling the the care by Him, it changed how they related to her and everyone else. And I guess the question I ask myself is, is this how I live? Is this how you and I live? Do we interact on a daily basis out of a sense of abundance? Because you only will give out of abundance. That's what Paul's trying to say. And I would argue everybody in this room probably... The reason why we, we we stop before we can even start is because we don't feel like we have anything to give. We feel like we're in deficit, not in abundance. I looked this up. So, and I'm not talking about just money. We're talking about remember, time, talents, yes, treasures, but time and ta- it's the whole person of you. Christian Smith was he's a um, sociologist in Notre Dame was asked why is it that 20% of Americans that are in Uh, upper, kind of like, upper social class. They have, these are people with means. Why did 20% of them give not one dime at all? And this is what he said in the interview. He said, it's because Americans don't realize how wealthy they really are. They could, but they think they're just getting by. And it struck me when he said that he, what he means is this, is it doesn't matter what you objectively have. If you subjectively feel like you don't have it enough, there can be no joy, there can be no cheerfulness in giving. And therefore, the only way to experience abundance, go back to verse 10. Look what, G- look what Paul says. The way you feel abundance is seeing who supplies the seed, who supplies the bread. It's almost like Paul's saying the seed is the pre-product before it starts. Bread is the end product. Jesus, the, your Lord and Savior, has given you what you need to start and what you need to end. In other words, he's given you enough grace to exist. And we get caught up because we want the grace that we, we think about the future. Are you going to cover me in the future? And Jesus is saying, I've given you enough grace for today. I've given you enough grace to man- manage for the next 24 hours. I've given you enough bread of life. I've given you enough seed to make it. And that's what we see here. That you only give an abundance in that way. And you and I, friends, we have not taken inventory of what we have. We do not realize what we have in a cosmic family. We got up here, we made some jokes, we saw people join the church. But we don't realize when you're joining this church, you're joining uh, uh, the saints throughout all time of other individuals that are saying, I put my life here and that family will never go away. We don't realize the cosmic riches. We don't realize the love, the power, the truth that you are a child of God and that makes you infinitely rich beyond comparison. And if we did, we would treat our stuff differently. All right, last point. What would it look like? Because if you're like me, at this point, you're like, all you're hearing is, all right, Michael's not up here trying to guilt me. He's not up here trying—Paul's not doing that either. He's not commanding me. It's supposed to be joyful, but I just don't feel that joy. Where does it come from? And Paul, next verse, he locates it. In verse 11, he says, you will be enriched. You will feel that enrichment. You will know if your generosity, the way you treat your possessions—and this is such an interesting phrase will result in thanksgiving to God. It's almost passive. It it will result. Which then, a lot of commentaries were like, wait, result for who? The one who's being given to or the giver? And the answer is yes. It's purposely ambiguous that Paul is trying to get at that your life, if it's marked with daily, hourly thanksgiving, that's the way you know. That's actually how you engender it. How do you get a sense of abundance is you get a sense of thanksgiving. And I worry that we're like, we're like most New Yorkers. You know what New York does? They go from Halloween to Christmas. What we do is we, go, we have all the pumpkins and everything, and now in Starbucks you have Christmas and candy canes. We've skipped over Thanksgiving. We've missed it. Uh, this is a true statistic. Statistically, Americans, most Americans say they believe in God. But the, just because you believe in God doesn't mean you necessarily are thankful. You get thanks when you realize I don't deserve but I get. You get thanks when you're focusing not on what I don't have, but on what I do. I think we're so concerned, and I'm me included, of all the things I'm not being given, all the things that I'm due, instead of all the things that you have. uh, Jesus said to Peter on the night he was betrayed, and it's a kind of funny image, James is standing there with with his sword out trying to protect Jesus, and Jesus goes, Put that sword away. There's nothing that you're gonna be able to do. There's no amount of possessions, there's no amount of stuff that's gonna be able to fix this. Right? You don't need to defend me, I need to defend you. And I think, I guess what I want to ask you all is: everybody has a list. Take whatever you think right now you need. Make that list. What's the thing that you think you need right now to make you happy? Is it a spouse? Is it a friend? Is it a family fix? Is it more money? Is it a love, honor, and respect? Whatever it is, I promise you, if you got that, it still wouldn't be enough. You know how I can prove that? I bet you you can go back 5, 10, 15 years in your life and think of the list of things that you thought you needed. I bet you you got some of those things, and I bet you you still are here right now thinking there's a new thing for you to need. It won't be enough. Yes, if you got it, I bet your life would be slightly better. I bet your life would be happier. But it won't be ultimately. It won't be what you fully and finally need because Jesus is saying what you really need, what will really be enough— is for me to go to the cross and pay for what you can't pay. What you really need is for me to give you what you can't get. Michael, you want that honor, love, and respect? I honor you so much I died for you. I love you so much. I paid for your sins. I wipe those away and I wipe your tears away. I, I respect you so much that I've given you grace, not just enough to get by, to tease me along. The core of God is not uh, stinginess. The core of God is abundance. More grace that can overflow than you can possibly imagine is who Jesus is. Lavish, abundant grace that blows away ultimately what you would possibly need in anything else. So much so, through the sense of generosity, sorry, through the sense of thanksgiving, generosity is just going to spill out. It's just going to spill out. And so I want us to ask ourselves, do we have a heart of abundance like this? Do we root it in a a, a posture of thanksgiving? Is our daily, hourly space marked with not what I can't, what I don't have and I can't get, but with what I have? I think if you walk around saying, man, I wish I still had dot, 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 you can't live this way. But if you could walk, figure out a way to say, start with, I can't believe I have. Isn't it amazing that he loved me this way? I get to do this kind of job? I have these kind of people in my life? I have, th- I have this jacket on? How amazing would that be? It starts with little spaces of generos- of thanksgiving It leads to generosity. Let me just give you two quick implications. Implication number one is this. Everything I just said. There's people sitting in this room right now. You might think you're a Christian. You might say you're a Christian. You might might actually really believe you're a Christian. But you don't see your life marked with thanksgiving. And here's what you should do. Yes, you should pray about it. Yes, you should go to the Bible and read about the promises and be enlivened by His Spirit. Yes, you should pray for the Holy Spirit to move in your life in a special way. But it's also possible you haven't let the gospel touch your stuff. And I want... And I ask you, will you actually let that happen? I'm not saying you have to give it here. Yes, we have seven weeks left to the end of the year. Yes, only 54% of our actual total givings come in. I think well, there's lots of good reasons to give here. But at the end of the day, you have to see your stuff as an investment to give out that's bigger than you. And I believe LSQ has great, you know, we're, what's our purpose and meaning? Our purpose and meaning is to live, to, to live as, as reflections of God's love together in the city. But what's your purpose and meaning with your stuff you let the gospel touch it and you'll see a bigger view for it and that's what will allow you to be cheerful that's what will allow you to be joyful in it and if you go back to paul here he says look what you get you will get righteousness this is verse 10 a harvest of righteousness not more stuff but what you'll get is somehow you'll get an ability To enjoy, even with the less stuff that you have, the more you're going to be able to enjoy. It's it's mysterious, it's special, but it's there. Verse 11, and it's some it's enrichment, not riches. Enrichment, because you feel that abundance and it moves itself out. Last implication: a heart filled with thanks rests. A lot of you are tired. I've talked with a lot of you this 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 fall. I don't know if it's because of the pandemic we got used to a system and now we're back meeting people and out and about and we're just tired. There's a rest that we desire and there's a rest that we don't feel we can get. And I don't think it's just physical. Uh, A Harvard economist and a Princeton behaviorist uh, wrote a book in 2013 called this, Scarcity, Why Having Too Little Means So Much. And they basically more or less proved that the less you feel like you have and the less that you have, you make less wise decisions. You tend to buy Short-term happiness sacrificing long-term gains. And what they're trying to get at is that keeps us from a life of abundance. Friends, abundance awaits for you, but we have to not have that scarcity mentality. We have to sit and rest in what's been done. Start there. And like the father who runs after the prodigal son and, and just comes after him when he's far off, we have a true father that's doing the same thing for us this very moment for you. Let's respond with generosity, thankful lives that gives our stuff, not as something to carry around on our backs, not as something that we have to just hold on to more and more and more, but something that is part of a larger process of what God's doing in this world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. It it is difficult because we've been trained up in a space that says you are what you have. It's been trained up to say, and there are little dopamine hits. Every time you hit enter on Amazon, you feel a little bit good. But then it fades. It always fades, and there's always something else. Father, everybody in this room has real, valid needs, and things are not actually getting they should get. And yet, Father, I pray we would root our Thanksgiving in something that we already do know we've gotten that the cross is proof positive of your love, that the resurrection is proof positive of its enduring, uh, enduring truth in our life, and the, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit constantly sitting there in our hearts, reminding us day after day of the goodness and the love offered in you. I pray that we would have this now and forevermore. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray that it's a helpful resource as you process aspects of Christianity and grow in your faith. To learn more about our church, including details about Sunday worship, check out our website at RedeemerLSQ.com.